The Legends of Earth, Chapter 9, Kara's Awakening Why do we sleep? We sleep so that we can pause the musings of our minds. We sleep to dream, to live briefly in reality. We sleep to awake, to the white curling boughs of winter, as they stretch their limbs in the light of dawn, to live in the ephemeral moment of sunrise, to feel our souls, blank, gazing out of their loosened shells, into the ecstasy and enlightenment of the sun. Question Poem, The Legends of Earth, Volume 2, Verse 3211. It was two months after the fighting, and Kara's wounds had begun to heal. The Yulos had treated her with surprising kindness, she thought, given the damage her people had inflicted on their small world. There were gaping holes visible in the forest canopy, easily visible from the top of the metallic sleeping disc on which Kara spent most of her time. She had, in fact, been quite carefully nursed back to health, mostly by the two Yulos named Marthos and Bena. The rest of the tribe had either shown curiosity towards her, or more frequently, ambivalence. The only two she was still wary of were Thale and Rutil, the ones who had been Arla's friends. No word had been heard from Arla since the departure of Kara's ship with her on board. During the first few weeks of Kara's captivity, her existence had seemed lifeless and dull. Expecting at any moment to be killed or interrogated by her captors, she had stayed huddled in one of the small sleeping caves for a considerable length of time, despite the lack of any physical restraints. Marthos and Bena visited her frequently during this period, examining her injuries and bringing her food, a grayish pear-like fruit that apparently grew on the gigantic turquoise-leaved trees. Several times they had asked her about her people, and about Arla. More frequently than not, Kara found herself unable to answer, and the questioning sessions left her feeling confused and frustrated. Who was she? What was her purpose? Her memory was a blur of incomprehensible, abstract images and emotions. At first she thought this was a result of the head injury she'd received in the pod crash, but on close examination this had turned out not to be severe. To make matters worse, the voice had continued to speak inside Kara's mind, particularly at night. Its tone was logical and pragmatic, creating long lists of numbers or symbols, though its words were utter gibberish. Occasionally she would feel strong twinges of emotion or synesthesia, completely unrelated to her immediate surroundings. It had taken Kara a full month to leave the small hollow in the Yulo's sleeping disc. One evening she had been watching the sun's rays slant through the cave's opening, brushing against the strange alloy the Yulos had used to build the discs. She found herself appreciating the soft quality of the light and the strange texture of the alloy that seemed to absorb the light, reflecting it without any glare or harshness. She realized that there was nothing holding her inside, so she stepped out onto the lightly slanted roof of the disc. The rest of the Yulos, it seemed, were gathered in the center of the disc, engaged in some kind of ritual. She could hear a strange, unearthly chanting. They didn't seem to take any notice of her, standing and watching from some distance away, so she turned and sat facing outwards. After a while, Marthos joined her. How long have your people lived here? She asked him. For generations, he replied. As long as we can remember. It's possible there used to be more of us, but our histories were destroyed long ago before we colonized this place. Our ancestors also lived on comets, that much we know. How do you know that? asked Kara. Marthos gestured at the tattoo-like patterns of veins on his back and sides. It's in our biology. How else would we have evolved into such a well-adapted form? Kara laughed. Of course, 
The logic was clear. Marthos asked, Do you have a homeworld? Then it hit her. Titan, she whispered. I was born on Titan. In the weeks that followed, Kara began to test the boundaries of her new environment. Already she was beginning to feel more at ease around the rest of the Eulos, realizing that they meant her no harm. She walked around the roof of the sleeping pod during the day, watching as they performed various tasks. Many of them would leave early in the comet's morning, speeding off to some location on its surface to return carrying food, materials, or mysterious bundles made of woven fiber. At the top of the sleeping dome, there was another indentation, shaped like a bowl, which seemed to be a gathering place of sorts. A few days after her conversation with Marthos, Kara had shyly approached it, sitting on the edge to watch. After a few minutes, a group of four Yulos had come flying back, each of them carrying large, fibrous sacks. One after another, they landed in the bowl, upending the sacks to deposit large piles of seeds, bark, fungus, lichen. They set to work about the piles, sorting and beginning to process them, producing tools of unknown function. Looking up, one of the Yulos noticed Kara, sitting at the edge of the bowl. Standing up, he walked over, extending a hand in a gesture of greeting. Parak, he said. Kara's expression must have been puzzled, because he continued grinning. It's my name. He was speaking Solar Common, if slightly accented. Comprehension dawned. I'm Kara, Kara replied. We know. You're the mysterious prisoner whose people attacked us. Kara didn't know what to say. Quickly, Parak added, Don't worry, we don't blame you. We don't think your consciousness had much say in the matter. Still completely confused, Kara opened her mouth to respond, starting to say something, then closing it again. Finally, What do you mean? she stammered. Parak tapped the side of his head, pointedly, and then went back to sorting strips of bark into piles. Utterly nonplussed, Kara touched the side of her head. There was something there, she realized. A small protrusion. It was cold to the touch, and crackled slightly with static when her finger brushed the surface. She knew what it was, of course. There were two more like it on her palms. They were designed to interface with something, and she remembered connecting with the circuitry of the pod. The sudden increase in sensory stimulation, the flood of information that had poured into her every pore. Of course, there was one protruding from each temple. They had always been there. Something was becoming clear to Kara. Slowly, something had started to take shape in her mind. It had started with her conversation with Marthos and the abrupt remembrance of her birthplace, the sense that she was part of something greater. Slowly, after the conversation, her memories had begun to return. She remembered Titan, a place of copper-green lakes and iron hills, sweltering under a thick atmosphere. The white space station corridors, the low howl of the air currents reverberating through her spacesuit, the ethane rains falling from the sky onto her visor. She remembered Arden, Lila, and Terran. Had they been on Titan with her? She wasn't sure. Then there was another image, a scene carved in vivid detail on her mind's eye, of a fiery landscape, flames raining all around, humanoid shapes wearing reflective coverings like fluid mirrors, scrambling forward over dark, jagged rocks. Beyond this, the rest of her memory seemed obscured. Much as she felt confined to the sleeping pod in the Eulos' territory, she felt confined to these memories, this set of information within her mind. Trying to move beyond, she always encountered a barrier, like a fog, 
There was a mysterious grayness, a darkness that she was unable to penetrate. During the daytime, she had taken to helping Baina braid ropes. These were long and fine, crafted from strips of whitish fiber that could be extracted from a certain type of plant, an epiphyte that grew by anchoring itself high in the tree branches. The plants were everywhere, and she could see several even from the rim of her sleeping cave. Of course, the thought of actually standing on the tree branches to collect one made her instantly sick to her stomach. The ropes were crafted by collecting a long bundle of fibers, then twisting these many times until the material began to knot. Once this happened, the fibers would be folded in half, and the twisting began again. Eventually, a section of strong and tightly bound rope would be obtained. This could be interwoven with other ropes, which were twisted together to be stored in several giant thick ropes that could be broken apart when needed. This particular day, Baina also brought several other items, which seemed related to the rope-making, though Kara couldn't identify their exact purpose. They were a bowl of something resembling soil, a large pile of turquoise leaf debris, and several giant seed pods the size of Kara's head. Curious, she asked, What are those for? Patience, replied Baina. You'll see soon enough. Help me with this bundle. They spread out a long bundle of fibers and began twisting it. Have you been able to remember anything else? asked Baina. Kara laughed. Yes, yesterday I was in my room, just starting to fall asleep, when I saw an image of Terran, one of my friends on the ship. He was sitting in front of a round window watching stars drift by. I think Arden was tinkering with the electronics because suddenly the gravity changed and he started falling towards the ceiling. Kara clutched her sides, laughing at the memory. Baina waited patiently for her to resume twisting the rope. Anything more about Titan, your homeworld? Well, Kara replied, I can remember the space station and the surrounding valleys. It was set into the wall on a kind of hillside above a huge green lake. I remember being inside the space station and also being outside in a spacesuit. When I try to remember anything else, I run into a kind of gray fog. Baina seemed to find this interesting. A fog? Is it a physical fog? Kara thought for a moment. No, not really. It's a bit like encountering a fear of heights. Something will catch my memory, and I know there's something there, but there's a clenching in my stomach that pulls me back. It's like my body doesn't want me to remember. They stood in silence for a moment, still twisting the rope. Then another thought came to Kara's mind. When I think about it, it's like the fog has different colors in places. When I'm trying to think about Titan, that's a gray fog. When I'm trying to think about Leela, it's more of a blue fog. Arden is sort of a yellowish fog, and Terran is greenish. When I'm thinking about them, the feeling's in my feet, not my stomach. Then there's this other image. The fiery landscape image. I just get brief glimpses of it. And whenever I do, I get this intense pain all along my arms. She gestured at the circuits running through her forearms, ending in a circlet of metal on each palm. Baina nodded. Any idea why? As the rope began to knot, they folded it in half and continued twisting. I don't know. Kara felt agitated. It's like there's something I'm fighting against, some other force I'm battling. The more she probed these memories, the more her own body seemed to fight back, attacking her, causing her pain or confusion. Baina was concerned. Perhaps we'll bring it up at the meeting tonight. Would you like to join? Kara was instantly distracted from her frustration. She had never participated in one of the daily meetings the Ulos held. They had always seemed too secretive and too important for an outsider like herself. 
Yes, I'd be thrilled to join. Baina smiled and nodded her head, and they continued twisting. The rope knotted itself once more, and they folded it into a three-braided strand. Instead of continuing to twist it, Baina gestured Kara over to the boil of soil. Take this and rub it along the length of the rope. Make sure it gets in all the cracks and crevices. Kara did as she was told, massaging the soft, earthy material into the space between the fibers. As she was doing this, Baina began to break open the seed pods, collecting hundreds of black, angular seeds in a basin, which she then began to pound with a large stick. Kara finished rubbing the soil into the crevices of the rope, and crouched to watch a milky white liquid emerging from the seeds Baina had crushed. When there was enough to fill the basin, Baina ceased her pounding and stood to examine the rope. Holding tightly to one end, she flung it over the edge of the sleeping pod, shaking it thoroughly as it dangled into the darkness to remove any excess dirt. Then she hauled it up again hand over hand, coiling it as she did so. She picked up a section and showed it to Kara. See the small threads? There's a creature in the soil that likes to inhabit the spaces inside the plant fibers, a bit like a tiny spider mite. Conveniently, it also secretes a type of silk protein, which makes sticky protrusions outside the fiber. The fibers all stick to each other, so we've created an interwoven silk matrix. Up close, Kara could see the sticky silk threads that had grown from each plant fiber, interlinking with each other and holding the fibers together all along the length of the rope. Now, said Bena, we need to do two things. The leaves contain a chemical that prevents decay, and the resin from these seeds will add strength and make the whole thing waterproof. First, let's rub the leaves along its length, and then we can soak each section in the resin. After about an hour, the rope was finished. Kara and Baina sat admiring their handiwork as it lay coiled on the roof of the sleeping pod. Up close, the resin layers encasing the plant fibers were transparent. The chemical reaction created by the turquoise leaves had turned the fibers a ghostly white. Each fiber seemed to branch many times due to the protruding silk threads, like the pattern of veins on a leaf. It's a beautiful rope, remarked Kara. It's yours to keep, explained Bena. A climbing rope. I figured you could use it so you don't have to be stuck on top of this pod all the time. <laughs>